There are so many pressures on farmers at the moment. Thefts, hair coursing, avian flu, CO2, fertiliser cost, the transition from BPS to Elms, the list goes on and on. If it all starts getting too much, who can you turn to for support? There are people out here, there are chaplains um, around willing to listen, get alongside, point ways to coming up with solutions. And we'll examine a serious potato problem this morning. The problem is that you can't sell them as salad potatoes, for example, and that causes significant losses to farmers. Plus agronomy, the markets and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. Lama has been put back to May. Thankfully, the Lincolnshire and the Newark shows are on as planned, but the Lincolnshire Farming Conference is not. Due to be held in a couple of weeks, the event's been cancelled due to continuing COVID concerns. The conference is expected to be back fully on the 9th of February next year with the theme of Healthy Soils, Healthy Minds. If you'd already booked a place for this year, you will be issued with a full refund via Eventbrite. Some good news, though. Lincolnshire Agricultural Society, working with the county's NFU and young farmers, are bringing back the brilliant Tractors Into Schools campaign in March after missing last year. Rosie Crust from the Society. Good morning. What's the initiative all about? Basically, we want to connect farmers with the school community to give schools the opportunity to learn a little bit more about what the tractor's role is in bringing food to our tables, for farmers to tell their story about their job, what it involves, And also just to educate them because the children are the future generations, the future consumers, producers. So it's really important that farmers can share their story and just engage the children with the tractor and the role it plays in bringing food to our tables. Also, for many children, it's the first time they've sat on a tractor. So the little faces, it's an amazing experience for them. So, yeah, we're really delighted that it's back. And this is all really about educating children on the journey their food takes to actually get on the plate in front of them. But it's also getting children to understand more about agriculture and what farming's all about. And also, it's not only having the tractor into school, but it's also how the tractor can enrich all different areas of the curriculum. So lots of the STEM subjects, history, IT, English and many more subjects. We're basically trying to embed food and farming within the curriculum for schools. Now, we last did this two years ago, and obviously it didn't happen last year because of COVID, sadly. But you had nearly 3,000 children involved. How many farmers were actually involved, though? There was 40 different farmers. This year, we're obviously trying to increase that number. So if you are a farmer and you would like to get involved, then please do get in touch. You can go to the Lincolnshire Showground website. We have also got a farmers meeting on Thursday, the 3rd of February, 10 o'clock at the Lincolnshire Showground. That meeting is all about providing support and advice and guidance for the farmers. For example, how to make the tractor the most exciting thing in 10 minutes. We go through risk assessments, health and safety. We go through lots of different resources that you can do with your tractor in school. So come along to that meeting on the 3rd of February to learn more about the initiative. What would a farmer actually be required to do if they take their tractor into a school? What have they actually got to do? We do ask if they can provide some activity, so take some grains in so the children can sample the grains and then look at the different products that those grains make. Some farmers take soil in, some farmers do a PowerPoint presentation of their farming year. Each farmer basically does different things. We are here to support farmers, so if they're not comfortable teaching a group of children then we're happy to come and support with the activities alongside the tractors. At that meeting on Thursday we do have lots of different activities and resources set out that the farmers can actually have a go at doing themselves to then hopefully be able to recreate them within the classroom. 
And is this aimed at any particular farming sector? We talked about grain. Can animal farmers be involved as well? Yeah, definitely. It's all farmers. We've had them in the past where they've gone in with videos of the cow calving, a sheep lambing. So it's absolutely just developing the children's understanding of all sectors, all the different farming sectors. So yeah, please do get involved. Lovely. Rosie, just give us the details of that meeting one more time, would you? So the farmers' meeting is at the Lincolnshire Showground in the Tennyson Pavilion on Thursday the 3rd of February at 10 o'clock and more information can be found on the Lincolnshire Showground website. Rosie, thank you. Thank you. If you're taking part, do let me know. I'd love to visit as many schools as possible. Email farming at linksfm.co.uk. Concerns have been raised again about the CO2 situation with the agreement between the government and CF Industries to continue production due to expire tomorrow and no solution in sight. CF Industries said it continues to negotiate with their industrial gas customers to extend CO2 offtake and pricing agreements. However, it would appear that the government is unlikely to put up more money to secure supplies, saying it's up to CO2 firms to ensure continued supplies. Plant diseases are a constant problem in farming that can lead to major losses of crops and consequently money. Potato scab is one of them. The team at the John Innes Centre have been looking at this disease. Group leader Dr Jake Malone joins us this morning. Good morning, Jake. Firstly, what is potato scab? Well, potato scab is a bacterial disease of potatoes. You will see it on all potatoes to a greater or lesser extent you get these small scabby lesions on the surface of the potatoes. In particularly badly affected crops, this can cover the the entire potato. It doesn't make the potatoes bad to eat. You can still cook them and eat them. The problem is that you can't sell them as salad potatoes, for example. And that causes significant losses to farmers. We lose about three million annually. And there are no chemical treatments. The only treatments that we really have is uh, management practices. And that's largely down to extensive irrigation of fields. What actually causes potato scab, Jake? Do we know? Uh, We do. It's a bacterium called Streptomyces scabies. The soil is full of thousands of different bacteria and fungi. Most of them are benign or even beneficial to plants. You need a healthy soil sort of ecosystem in order for plants to grow well. But some of them are pathogens. And in this case, Streptomyces scabies is a pathogen of potatoes and other root vegetables, and it will attack the potato. And when the potato tries to defend itself, it forms this kind of scabby lesion. It's very much linked to the moisture in the soil. So farmers, they'll have a a degree of advance notice if they have a very dry year, then that might herald more scab. One of the main ways that farmers can prevent scab is with extensive irrigation. And we're not talking about spraying a bit of water on plants to help them grow. We're talking flooding fields with fire hoses. And that in itself is both expensive and labour consuming and ultimately not that sustainable. And Jake, you've done a study on this. Is there any solution? Well, we hope there will be. I should say that this this is a fundamental study that we've done looking at the way that the different bacteria within the soil interact with one another in the context of potato scab and irrigation. What we're interested in is why does irrigation suppress scab? We know that it does, but we don't know exactly why that is. And we went into this study that another type of bacterium called Pseudomonas fluorescens, which is also present in the soil, may suppress potato scab and may be benefited and boosted by irrigation. So we looked at 
all of the different players in this ecosystem. So we looked at Pfluorescens, Streptomyces scabies, the potatoes, and the other bugs that were present in the soil. And we looked at fields that had been irrigated and not irrigated. And we found examples of Pseudomonas fluorescens that effectively suppress potato scab. We found the uh, genes and the natural products that these bacteria produce that contribute to the suppression of the disease. And if a farmer discovers they've got scab on their potatoes, are they stuck with it? Is there anything they can do to get rid of it? Um, once you have scab on the potatoes, there's nothing you can do about it. They just, that's happened. And this is why farmers will irrigate in the at the point just before tubers start to, to form. And over that critical window, they will extensively irrigate fields. So extensive irrigation early on. Jake, what's next for your studies in this area? We're not just looking at potatoes. We are hoping that we can scale up our, our studies and look at a number of other uh, crops which are useful in the UK and also abroad. Well, I wish you good luck with that. Dr Jake Malone from the John Innes Centre. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks for inviting me. To agronomy now, we welcome our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. It's not been a bad week weather-wise, really. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Another mild one as well. No frost again last night. But with 2022 only just four weeks in, I'm sure there's plenty of winter still to come. They've been talking about another beast from the east for weeks and weeks and weeks now, haven't they? So if they keep saying it, when it happens, they'll say, oh, I told you that was going to happen. And they'll all sit back with a smug little smirk on their faces. So whether we do get it or whether we don't get it or whether we do get a winter or whether we don't, talking about it's not going to change it. So let's see what comes. And as always, we'll take what we're given because there's very little else we can do. So despite only 17.5 mil of rain so far this year, fields are surprisingly wet on any sort of bodied land. The slugs are making hay while the land's wet as well. So do keep an eye open and just wander over to those patches in fields that don't look quite as good as maybe they did a couple of days ago and just make sure that you're ahead of slugs if that's what the issue is. Just get some ferrous phosphate out onto them, toot sweet if they are. Um, spring barley drilling as well, all go on the kind of land on Lincoln Heath example and down the A15 saw conditions on the limestone brush very nicely friable and barley going in beautifully well remember you can put flufenacet and several other residuals on spring barley and spring wheat uh, either on an emu or as a direct label crop so if black grass is a particular issue it might just be prudent to do so with so few post M options and also worth remembering that if you're going to glyphosate off a field to drill into a field if you've got volunteers in there if it's a second barley or whatever if you spray off a good week or 10 days before you put the drill in the field you're unlikely to get the green bridge carrying over aphids but if there's aphids in the field and you're spraying off the day before they will quite happily hop off those volunteers onto the emerging crop so do be aware of that and plan your glyphosate accordingly do check the labels as well if you're out there putting pre-ems on to make sure that if it says pre-em only you abide by that just in case you've forgotten always try and get the seed around 40 millimeters deep and covered selectivity by depth protection and you really don't want direct contact from herbicides on the seed with flufenacet, pendimethylene, triolate etc because that can be fatal to the seedling or at the very least very very damaging so if in doubt just ask your advisor to go and have a look but do aim to get around 40 mil of settled soil over the seed drill it at, at crow's beak and half an inch as well and you'll be absolutely fine because the crows are out there causing a lot of damage as well in already drilled spring barleys across the county so do keep 
keep your eyes peeled for crows. Winter wheat's doing okay out there in the field, but heavy land that's been poorly drained or slumped is really struggling, actually. As I said, we've only had 17.5 mil of rain so far this month, so it sits blooming wet in some of these fields. The sunshine on Thursday, of course, saw crops across the county fluorescing the chlorophyll, so things look very springy. So we can take heart that all is still okay in the main out there. A lot of the yellowing will just be older leaves dying off, so don't just assume, go and have a look. Mind you, a few decent minus five or minus six frosts would certainly be very welcome from an aphid control point of view, because whereas it just takes minus 0.5, just below freezing, to kill about 50% of the bird cherry oat aphid population it has to be at least minus six and preferably down to around minus eight in order to kill 50 percent of the grain aphid population so the bird cherry oat aphids out there will be struggling after the recent frost that we've had the grain aphids will still be out there in their trunks and flip-flops lapping it all up finding yellow rust all week in winter wheat in graham skyscraper gleam wolverine kerin saki several other varieties with good ratings against that disease but most of those varieties as i said last week will just shrug that off once they get to mature planted around growth stage 30 onward seedling levels of rust is really no reason to panic mr mannering certainly no reason to go putting fungicides on at this time of year not for a couple of months yet anyway oil seed rate being absolutely hammered by pigeons in some areas just scare them away to your neighbors that's about the best you can do but do be alert several fields blew over with them throughout this week and although damage can look an awful lot worse than it is you do want to keep moving them on an oil seed rape crop can lose around 90% of its leaf area this time of year and that won't affect yield whatsoever so again just keep moving those pigeons on disease levels very low in all seed rape in general and pointless treating it really in these current conditions so keep your powder dry and keep your money in the bank propizamide um, legally you need to have that on by close of play on the 31st of January so you've got today and tomorrow to get that done so I suggest you crack on if you've still got that to do it's dry enough to travel in most cases anyway also remember that Shield, Clopic, Galera, Corvetto, those sorts of herbicides that we use for later broadleaf weed control of thistles and cranesbill and cleavers and poppies and groundsel, they can't go on before the 1st of March. So do plan your attack in advance because the little bit of time you're likely to have between the 1st of March and the buds visible can be very, very short. So do plan ahead. And sugar beet, once again, in the news on farm and the talking point, 21st of January, a letter hit doormat saying you need to order your seed by the 28th of January. So just seven days. So activity the early part of this week was absolutely frantic. And by Wednesday, it appears just a couple of varieties left. So I wonder how many sugar beet growers are away skiing or, or holidaying at the moment and won't know that was the case. I know that first choices of varieties may no longer be there. So I've had some very interesting conversations on farm this week and I'm sure the beet fieldsman will have been similarly addressed anyway look i'm going to keep talking about ipm and soil sampling to a minimum so that i've got something to talk about next week so let's see what the next seven days bring thank you sean sean sparling sparling agronomy services will be back next week thefts of trailers avian flu hair coursing the cost of fertilizer stress related to changes from bps and the likely loss of income so many headaches apart from actually doing the job of producing food it's enough to drive you to despair but there is support available alan robson is agricultural chaplain and director of the lincolnshire rural support network lrsn there's a lots of challenges ahead but what i want out there is for all those farmers farm workers people in the food sector processes sector who are under huge pressure to say look 
there are people out here, there are chaplains um, around willing to listen, get alongside, point ways to coming up with solutions and, and helpful guidance for these people and my colleagues in Lincolnshire Rural Support Network likewise. And so, yeah, please give me a ring. That's what I'm saying. There is support out there. And, of course, for listeners outside of Lincolnshire, the Farming Community Network does a very good job as well. Absolutely. Uh, Good team under Jude. So, you know, right across the country, there will be an access to some form of listening ear and support and practical help when things get a bit uh, stymied and people are not talking, be the bank or um, other challenges around. So, you know, if you feel overwhelmed, don't be, you know, talk. Alan, thank you very much. All right, all the best. Thanks, Steve. You can contact Alan on 07542 272049 and LRSN on 0800 138 Business support is important too and staying with the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network let's get an update on an initiative they introduced a few months ago in association with the Prince's Countryside Fund, the Farm Resilience Programme. Alison Pratt from LRSN joins us. Morning Alison, you're just about halfway through the project. How's it going? Oh it's going tremendously well. We've been really lucky in that we've got a much broader group than last time. We've got our own in-county participants but we've also taken on some remote participants from around the country and they're bringing some quite interesting insights to the programme as well. So we've had the welcome workshop and the two compulsory workshops business and environment and we've also had the first of the non-compulsory ones and that was about succession and that was fabulously detailed and and helpful. The next two are going to be Agritech at the University of Lincoln And we're also going to go to Doddington Hall on the 1st of March to see how their environment and rewilding projects are shaping up. And the study's been carried out recently that's showing some good results from these programmes. Yes, that's right. ADAS undertook uh, an in-depth survey. The outcomes show that farmers really are benefiting, not just in terms of monetary benefit, but also in terms of building up local networks and having more confidence and really getting their, their own ideas, their own plans, their own structures in their farming businesses much more on the straight and narrow. And I've seen figures here that for every pound invested in the programme, an average return of £3. Now, if only we could get that from crops and from animals, we'd be (laughs) delighted, wouldn't we? We would. Uh, But then that's part of what the programme's all about. It's about making you look at your costs, making you look at whether your enterprises are sustainable or not, um, and just talking to their friends and neighbours. So it's about longer-term support as well as the immediate impact of the workshops. You work so hard on a day-to-day basis just to produce the food, look after the countryside and keep the family farm together that actually taking a step away, having time to consider where you're going, what you're doing and how you're doing it is really important. Are there plans to run another one in future? Well, this current one is being funded by DEFRA. And it's part of the Agricultural Transition Plan. And I know the Prince's Countryside Fund is looking to uh, roll it out again for the next phase. It would be very beneficial. and We would hope to be able to attract more families, um, more farms and perhaps from a wider geographical area and uh, farming sector as well. We've got not very many arable farms this time. And we also would like to get some more growers involved. Alison, thank you. Let's hope the Farm Resilience Programme continues and goes from strength to strength. Time for our market reports now, starting with livestock from Louth Livestock Market. Good morning, Oliver Chapman. 
Good morning, Steve. Monday the 24th, round up from here at Louth. See prime steers sell away to a top of 247 pence per kilo and gross £1,380 for J.C. Scully of Bournemouth, while the heifers top for G. Russell and Partners of Hatton at 222 pence per kilo and grossing £1,306. On to the cool cows and just a pair on offer, saw a top of 128 pence per kilo twice and £816 for TNT Towers. Moving on to the sheep, uh, and starting with the prime hogs, which saw an SQQ average of 263.36 pence per kilo, an all-in pence per kilo average of 253.04, and an all-in pounds per head average of 118 pounds and 8 pence. Top spot this week went to PNS Marsden and Son, topping at 138 pounds, with more to follow at 128. The pence per kilo section was topped by NA and AC Collishaw from up near Spalding at 300 pence per kilo. Moving on to the cool ewes with an all-in average of £93.91. Again, topping this section were NA and AC Collishaw with Texels away to £157. Finally, just a handful of store hogs, all-in average £63.84 and topped at £80 for S Cooling. There are no store cattle tomorrow. Our next store cattle sale is Monday the 7th of February 2022. However, all prime and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep are required for tomorrow's sale. Please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver for Masons and Lowes Market and thank you. And the Grey Market Review now with Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The roller coaster continues. The market started the week sharply higher on increased fears that Russia would invade the Ukraine. Fund and speculative short coverings ensued that on the basis that trade flows could be adversely affected out of the Black Sea ports and demand would need to be switched elsewhere, predominantly to the EU and to the US. Wheat prices then dumped on Wednesday afternoon on the seabot when alleged comments attributed to the Ukrainian Defence Secretary circulating that all is well. It is interesting to note that maize prices remained firm whilst wheat prices collapsed. The point being that the Ukraine maize exports, particularly to China and the EU, would presumably also be affected by any military action that affected the Black Sea ports. Reports of China buying both old and new crop US maize, along with some analysts' forecasts that US maize plantings this spring will be down on last year, were supportive. South American weather continues to be debated. Recent rains may have arrested further crop losses, but some significant damage may already have been done in the Brazilian, Argentinian and Paraguay soybean crops. This will need to be reflected in future USDA reports. A return to drier weather February onwards is in some forecasts, which would be unwelcome, particularly for the Safrina maize crop in Brazil. Drought and freezing temperatures in the US hard red winter wheat areas have caused conditions to fall even further this week, which is now becoming a concern. Moving on to barley, 2021 crop. Last week, UK malting values saw a fall. Most UK domestic malters have stopped buying for now. In Europe, we have two 60,000 tonne boats of Argentinian malting barley that have been purchased. This has resulted in EU malsters selling back cargoes of English and daily malting barley, preferring the Argentinian. So, despite the wheat futures recovering some recent losses, malting barley remains, in all, down on the week. And even with this downturn, prices are still at historic highs. So looking forward to new crop, some planting of new crop malting barley has been possible in the east and south of the country. The new crop malting barley has not fallen as much as the old crop, but the sentiment is bearish. 
Allowing for the now narrowing differential between old and new crop, malting barley forward prices are still worth looking at and potentially locking in a proportion of your planted area for the coming season. Oilseed rate, over the recent days we have seen old crop values ease back. Pressure has come from Chicago values which will continue to drift. Buyers have cover in the near term and are waiting to see what happens when the February Matif values expire. The spread between old crop and new crop has continued to narrow, but better prices are needed to help kickstart the trade again. Old crop is now being ignored as buyers and what sellers are left are so wide apart it's not going to trade. However, there is good demand for new crop, which has been supported by the vegetable oil strengthening and also improving crush margins. By Wednesday, the market saw some strength with support coming from a firmer Matif and Chicago market. However, the continued lack of buyers on old crop didn't allow any physical trade to happen. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for January 210 to 215, March 215 to 222, May 218 to 226, November new crop 185 to 193. Milling wheat premiums are circa 40 to 45 pounds. Barley for January 200 to 205, March 210 to 216, May 214 to 220, and November 175 to 182. Malting barley premiums are currently 60 to 65 pounds. Oilseed rate for January 575 to 580, March 580 to 585, and May 582 to 587. November new crop 490 to 500 pounds. Many thanks, Kit and Oliver, who'll be back with us same time next week. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Another mostly dry week. Light southwesterly breezes today. Maybe some light rain this evening. Highs of 6 Celsius. Much the same overnight into Monday, which brings a brisk northwesterly wind, gusting possibly up to 50 miles per hour. Dry with temperatures staying around 5 or 6, but down near freezing point into Tuesday, which will be warmer during the day. Still breezy with a westerly in the mid-teens. Some rain possible and highs of 11. Mostly dry for the rest of the week with southwesterly breezes in the mid-teens MPH and highs of 9 or 10 degrees. Next week on the Farming Programme, we'll take a trip to a vertical farm and look forward to the big farm bird count. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week. 